Welcome. Welcome to, Welcome to Education on, on Tap. Welcome to Education on Tap, a podcast brought to you by Teach for America. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Education on Tap. This is your faithful host, Aaron French. After we produced the story on the School Justice Project a few months ago, we got a litany of requests to do more narrative pieces. So I went on the lookout for some good stories, and over the next few months, you'll find that the format of the show will change from time to time. While we'll still definitely have on some guests to explain the latest research or trends in education, we'll also be sure to go more in-depth in other episodes to bring those most affected by education to the forefront. More teachers, students, and citizens working towards change. So that means now, more than ever, it's important to hear your ideas. Tell me who you want to hear from and the stories you want to highlight. All you have to do is email me at educationontap at teachforamerica.org or tweet at Aaron Mofo French or at Teach for America using hashtag educationontap. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's bring you this week's show. Enjoy. So the first one that we're going to watch, this is a clip from the 1968 version. Um, and let's see how she interprets it. Oh, speak again, bright angel. Oh, Romeo, Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, you guys remember this, I'm sure. The excitement of seeing the TV on the cart in your classroom, only to have your English teacher turn it on and realize it's the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet. Not only do you have to watch it, but you'll eventually have to write an essay about it. Times really haven't changed that much, at least from when I was in ninth grade English back in 1997. But today's lesson is a little bit different, and that's why I'm here. Um, my name is Salima Jasani. I'm a special education English teacher at Digital Harbor High School in Baltimore City. Okay, I'm going to stop that there. The students in Ms. Jasani's classroom are learning about speech and public speaking, about how the way you say words and the emphasis you place on them can significantly change the meaning or connotation. And it just so happens that the Juliet of 1968 is way different than Claire Danes's Juliet of 1996. But there's one thing that remains constant. It's Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is a poet. And Ms. Jasani's students are published poets themselves. Over the past year, they've been participating in something called the Poet Warriors Project. Here's founder Emily Southerton to explain. So the Poet Warriors Project is a couple different things. It starts off as a classroom curriculum where uh, students study powerful poets who have created change through their writing. Uh, and then in turn, they learn different skills and tools that poets use um, in order to become writers themselves who create change through their writing. So it starts off in the classroom like that. Um, but at the same time, I curate a, a website and a blog where students then, once they are practicing writing and thinking about things that they want to say and thinking about ways that they want to create change, um, they can go into the back end of my website and they actually publish their poems for a national audience through this blog that I curate. 
The Poet Warriors Project is in 50 different neighborhoods across the country, urban and rural neighborhoods alike. Today, as you heard, we are in Baltimore at Digital Harbor High School. It sits at the intersection of Cross and Covington, where the streets slope down to the harbor. It's surrounded by iconic architectural Baltimore row houses, and it's just east of the hot spots on South Charles. It's one of the largest high schools in the city, and it has a focus on technology in particular. All students here are required to take one tech class a year, and many students are certified in a technology field by the time they graduate. Not really the place you'd expect to find poets, right? You know, it was a tumultuous process. Um, A lot of them at the beginning of the project, they actually refused to write poems because they had all of these ideas about what poetry was. So a lot of the my male students didn't want to do it because they associated it with something that boys don't do. So we had to kind of dispel that and read from a lot of really powerful male poets. Um, And then, you know, some of them thought that Poetry was this kind of nerdy thing that only certain types of students did. Yep, I'd say that's about right. Salima's student confirmed. City, a city child writing poetry, that's not something you think of. Like when you're in the hood, you don't think about writing poetry because a lot of people didn't do that when they was younger, like my age. But alas, there were poets lurking in the halls of Digital Harbor. They just didn't know it yet. Daryl White, I'm in a ninth grade. Daryl is one of the three poets we'll hear from today and one of several that has published work on PoetWarriorsProject.org. Here's something he wrote to all those Baltimoreans that walk around with their heads down, typing furiously on their smartphones. Ten bus on Pratt Street. I walked down Pratt Street and over the roar of a garbage truck, I asked my homeboy, did he want to go down the harbor with me? He said yes. So we caught the 10 bus and went to Ripley's. On our way, we saw street performers wearing baggy, spark, baggy, sparkling pants. But the busy people walking by in black and white suits wearing polo cologne didn't even see the harbor water was so murky. When I asked Daryl why he felt like he needed to get those thoughts down on paper, he said that he's pretty sick of watching people walk through his neighborhood and not notice what's going on, not noticing him as if he didn't even exist. It was, a, it was a lot of things going down in my hood and stuff. So I just wrote something so I can make, like, so I can feel better and stuff. A lot of things is a bit of an understatement. By now, you all know what's happening in Baltimore. After unarmed black man Freddie Gray died while in police custody and six officers were indicted for homicide as a result, protests sparked in the city. But here's the thing. Daryl wrote that poem before the recent events. I asked him if he thinks his poetry, as well as others writing, has a role to play right now. Yes, yes, I do. It's a great city, and that's all I can say. Ain't nothing wrong. We just had one bad day. Turns out, the Poet Warriors curriculum actually encourages this kind of cultural awareness. Here's Emily again. First, they study Langston Hughes, um, and they actually study a couple of different artists in the Harlem Renaissance. Um, but they also study some contemporary poets like Zora Howard. Um, Zora Howard is a young woman who got her career started as a 14-year-old, where she wrote uh, the poem Biracial Hair, um, and sort of started talking about uh, identity through her poetry and went on to become uh, a published poet and went on to become um, 
went on to an Ivy League university on a poetry scholarship and continues to sort of talk about identity and social change through her poetry. The curriculum, I mean, it sort of looks like a mixture of um, a reading curriculum and a writing curriculum, but it also is a curriculum sort of about um, politics and history. Students kind of realize that they themselves are at a point in history and they themselves are at a point in um, a social and political process. And they begin to sort of think of themselves as um, the types of people who uh, can look out at the political situation or social situation um, and they can be the person in history to uh, start inciting change. Salima took this charge seriously for her class. A group of students that present with emotional or learning disabilities or need to repeat their first year of high school English due to other challenges in their lives. Her class is meant to provide extra support for the students that need it the most. To be honest, it seems the Poet Warriors Project helped take that to the next level. I realized that so many of them felt like they didn't actually have any say or control over their own story. So the theme of our classroom from the beginning was write your own life story. The Poet Warriors Project was the perfect way for them not only to share their stories, but to actually have them read by so many other people. And it kind of gave them this acknowledgement that their story does matter. Then a really cool thing happened. Because Emily created such a solid curriculum, and Ms. Jasani put her heart and soul into giving her students voices and outlet, those students began to take the assignments seriously too. Deeply, deeply personal reflections poured out of Salima's classes, from Dajay Carter's graphic poem about watching her brother being shot right in front of her, to Jamal Boone's piece about community in the presence of perceived danger. These students had something to say, and they were getting it out. My name is Crystal, and I'm a 10th grader. And this is her poem, Ode to My Mom. My mom always taught me growing up is not so easy. But it doesn't matter what you look like or what people want you to look like. It's what's on the inside that counts. Nobody's perfect. You just have to work it. And what's wrong with being different? She told me... It doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, just what's on the inside, and let nobody tell you different. She made me see if others don't understand and treat you badly, then they're just bullies. And it's not okay for them to treat others that way. But they must learn the truth or get theirs one day. My mom always taught me growing up is not so easy, but I'll know I'll make it. You just wait and see. For Crystal, her poem was a way to let her mom know she loved her, that she supported her, even when they don't see eye to eye, that in tough times, Crystal was there. She recently lost a boyfriend named Nate. He died of heroin overdose. And this made me realize that when we listen to our younger students, we may actually have a lot to learn from their innocence. I asked her what she wanted her mom to hear from her poem, no matter what anyone else interpreted. I'm hoping that she'll get over it. I know she won't never get over it, but I hope that she can move on past it. Just 
stand up and stop being afraid of what might happen and instead just go for it. And here's Daryl again, this time with a poem about his cousin. Though he doesn't explicitly say it in the piece, it's about smoking marijuana. He tells me that you shouldn't look at a person for what he does in his personal time. It's his business and nobody else's. Dark like charcoal. My family has taught me to always be comfortable with myself. I have a cousin who is dark like charcoal, has a beard like Rick Ross, and a deep, deep voice. People look at him the wrong way, but he learned not to care what people say. So then why should I? Now, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people who listen to this episode who think a poem about someone's cousin smoking weed is inappropriate for a ninth grader. But the truth is, it's an experience that Daryl is living. And that's valid. It's absolutely no different than exploring the suggestive nature of Shakespeare's language in any of his comedies. Romeo and Juliet is certainly no exception to that. That's the exact point that Salima was trying to get across when their class read biracial hair together. And they were like, whoa, poetry can be about this stuff, and you can use curse words, and you can do all of these things that we don't associate with poetry, you know, because their only conception of poetry was this is what Shakespeare did. They didn't really see themselves as being poets. But, um, you know, by the end of it, they had, they'd produced something that they were really proud of and I was really proud of and their parents read and were like, oh my goodness, my child wrote this. And I think even even some of my students, that's how they felt about it. Like at the end when they actually saw it typed up and on the big screen, they were astonished. Like, hey, I actually did that myself. I think it's important for young students to have moments in class where they can think about their identity. This is Emily again. They can have moments in class where they begin to self-identify and start defining who they are, either internally or vocally or, you know, just even written on paper. Because I think that, um, I think those are the moments that really start to define any of us. And I think um, making sure that Uh, we offer kids those spaces is, um, I think, just one of the most powerful ways that we can uh, encourage kids to be their best selves, no matter what subject we're talking about or no matter what uh, subject we're teaching at that moment. And sometimes a student being his best self is just getting a funny little poem out of his system. This is Dominic, a smiley, confident teenager who really just wanted to write something about apparitions walking about town. Nothing more than that. His youthful giggle is grin-inducing. He even goes by a pseudonym. Wait for it. By DJ. No cars zooming on the streets. No lights shining from inside the houses. Only brown leaves on the ground. And Ghostbusters roaming around. (laughs) For Salima, taking the Poet Warriors project and running with it has been well worth the additional work. She's seen major changes in her students, not only academically, they're all on track to meet their ambitious progress goals by the end of the school year, but in their confidence levels too. They didn't start the year seeing themselves as writers, let alone as experts of their own experiences. Once we completed this project um, and they got a chance not only to write about 
the thing that they know best about, which is themselves, but they also got a chance for other people to read that, and they got their feedback on the website. The feedback Salima is talking about here is a series of clickable buttons under each poem on the website, where readers across the globe can let the writer know if they feel inspired or somber or surprised or a litany of other emotions or connections. Quite literally, a real-time reaction to what the students wrote. They got so much um, affirmation of what good writers they were that after we finished the project, um, I got such amazing essays about everything. You know, it was like once they got a chance to talk about what they wanted to talk about, then they were okay with writing about books and writing argumentative essays or whatever else. Before their attendance wasn't so great, now they're coming to school almost every day. Um, they they actually see that work that they do in school can be relevant to their life. And I've seen that a lot of them are working harder in all of their classes because they, you know, now they can see what it can do for them to actually try their best at something, which, you know, they all definitely did for this project. The end of the school year is fast approaching and some school systems are already done. So Emily is using this last bit of time to publish eight more classrooms across the country and celebrate others' work. Beyond that, though, the future of Poet Warriors is a bit unclear. I'm actually not sure what, uh, what, what's going to happen with the Poet Warriors project. Um, we had been traditionally getting funding and running this through Teach for America schools. And um, I recently found out that's not going to be the case in the new year. So I'm currently just trying to figure out how to continue running the Poet Warriors project on a smaller scale. Even with the uncertainty around the program's future, Emily believes wholeheartedly that the Poet Warriors project serves a purpose in education reform as a whole. Uh, if we if we want ed reform to be responsible toward and re representative of the communities most affected by education reform, then I think uh, we all, every organization in ed reform needs to um, make sure that there's a focus on incorporating the voices of community members at every level of that reform. I think it's important that when we incorporate voices on the ground that, um, you know, we're not just controlling the conversation, but that we're opening up platforms and opportunities for um, people to tell the stories that they need to tell and that they want to tell. When we can let go of control of the conversation and just listen, um, I think that's when we truly give opportunity to kids that we're trying to give opportunity to. And there it is. Poetry as a form of voice. As resistance to the status quo as a change agent. Though, I can't speak for everyone. That's certainly not something I heard during any discussions around iambic pentameter. Miss Jasani may be proud of her students, but Shakespeare? Well, I think he'd don his fancy collar and be first in line to any of these poets' readings. Read more from Baltimore's collection and the other 49 neighborhoods at Poet Warriors Project org Though the future of the Poet Warriors project is unclear, Emily did let me know she's more than happy to chat with anyone that's interested in the curriculum or learning more. You can reach her at m that's e m dot southerton s o u t h e r t o n at gmail.com. 
Remember that you can find and subscribe to Education on Tap on both SoundCloud and iTunes by typing our name into the search bar. And as I noted at the top of the show, I love hearing your ideas for stories like these. Send them my way at educationontap at teachforamerica.org or tweet at teachforamerica or Aaron Mofo French using the hashtag educationontap. We're currently looking for great topics and stories to kick off season two of the show, so keep those leads coming, please. And of course, you can always use that email and those Twitter handles to let me know what you think of the podcast. With that, we're done for this week. Until next time, have a great weekend, y'all.